0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned, at the end of the program we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Okay, so were you with me last week, show of hands, okay. That's a good number of you. I'm glad that you're back because this is kind of part two from last week. Uh, Chapter 11, if you were with us last week, um, David, you know, has defeated many enemies and he's taken back a lot of territory. Territory from the river Egypt all the way to the river Euphrates, all the way to the western fronts of the Jordan over to Iraq. David has expanded Israel from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. David is the greatest king Israel has seen to date. All of this sets the stage for what happens in chapter 11. Now, at the risk, listen, of sounding repetitive, I do need to say, I want to say that chapter 11 of Second Samuel, as we mentioned last week, is proof that the Bible truly is the inspired word of God. Second Samuel is proof that the Bible is the inspired word of God. The Bible is not of human authorship. The Bible is not of human origin, because no monarch with as much power as David had would ever include chapter 11 in their story. So we know chapter 11 is inspired by God because, again, no king, no monarch, no person in power, no individual writing their own book would ever write the things that we read about in 2 Samuel, write them and tell the whole world for thousands of years the thing that uh, their failures. You don't write books and talk about your failures. You write books and talk about your good stuff. You write books and talk about how wonderful you are. But you don't write books to talk about your failure. So we know that the word of God is inspired because of chapter 11. Chapter 11 details uh, the failures of David. Chapter 11 is the story of David's adultery and lying and ultimately David's murdering of a woman's husband. But the very fact that this story is recorded again is all, all evidence that scripture, all scripture, the Bible says, is inspired by God. Because unlike man... God doesn't cover the sins of his people. God doesn't sugarcoat the truth. Somebody say amen. He tells it like it is. Now, last week, we looked at verses 1 through 13. If you were with us, you know, look at verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1 tells us it was the spring of the year when the kings go to battle. Now, the spring of the year, if you weren't with us, is uh, probably around March or April. In ancient times, wars were not fought during the winter months or because of bad weather. Wars were fought in the spring and in the summer months. And during the winter months, uh, there was a ceasefire until the spring came around. And then everyone would resume fighting. It's springtime here in chapter 11. And David decided to take a break, to take a rest instead of battling. Probably thinking he'll leave that for the young guys. So David stayed in Jerusalem, and he sent Joab out to fight. If you were with us, you know that. It's a hot spring evening. No AC in the palace. Verse 2, David got up from his bed. He walked out on his roof, probably stretching, breathing cool air, and something got his attention out of his peripheral on the lower roof. Maybe he saw a nightlight. Maybe he heard the splashing of water. I'm working here, people. Hold on. Maybe he heard the splash in the water. But either way, listen, something gets his attention. And David turns around and he looks. You were with me, weren't you? And he sees a woman taking a bath. The Bible says the woman was very beautiful to behold in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. In um, the Greek language, beautiful to behold means she was fine. Write that down. She was fine. That's Rodney 1-1. When David saw her naked body, he lost his mind. He forgot he was a king. He forgot he was a man after God's own heart. Well, look at verse 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. He asked about the woman, and he was told that she was the, note this, saints, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now listen, when David heard two words, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, Run, forest, run. David should have turned away right at that time because Bathsheba is the daughter of Elam. And Elam is one of David's mighty men who at this time is out on the field fighting. Bathsheba is also the wife of Uriah, who is also one of David's mighty men. So David knows who Bathsheba is and he still sent for her in verse four. Go ahead and look at it. David calls for her, she came to him, and he laid with her. We talked about it last week. I don't think Bathsheba was totally innocent here. What woman do you know takes a bath on a porch? <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. What woman you know takes a bath on a porch, Right? And she knew she had to know that the most powerful man in the known world at that time lived right next door. And note her timing. Maybe David went out every night at the same time for some air. So at just the right time, David takes a stroll to get some air and Bathsheba decides to take a bath. Now, with that said, listen, I don't think her actions are praiseworthy and I don't think her actions are blameworthy. I don't think they're praiseworthy and I don't think they're blameworthy because in that culture, when the king summoned you, you had no choice but to come. You couldn't refuse. So I'm not quite sure about Bathsheba, but keep this in mind. None of this would have happened if David had been doing what God called him to do, and that is fight and be a leader. Instead of leading, he was lingering. You got your pen? Instead of leading, he was lingering. Instead of engaging, he was lounging. Instead of battling, he was resting, which gets us in trouble. You know, I thought of this this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We need to be about our Father's business. David should have been, I'll wait while you clap your hands, because that's, that's true. We need to be about our father's business. David should have been in the battle. David should have been being steadfast in the work of the Lord. David should have made the decision to guard this moment. I titled this sermon, Guard the Moment, because thinking about this very thing. The Bible, listen, has so much to say about guardianship. Or guarding oneself. I think of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Oh Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast, Paul says to Timothy. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me. This word, hold fast, leave that verse there for a second, please. This word, hold fast, means to guard. It implies someone would try and take something from you. In Timothy's case, Paul is talking about the truth of the word of God. Every pastor, every teacher has been given guardianship over the word of God. And the idea of guardianship is woven all the way throughout the scripture. The Bible talks about guardianship or guard your eyes. The Bible talks about guarding your feet. The Bible talks about, are you listening? The Bible talks about guarding your lips and guarding your tongue and guarding the words that come out of your mouth. Every Christian should live a guarded and protected life. And I think of Samson. You can't think of an unguarded life and not think of Samson. Samson lived a completely unguarded life. Samson, you know the story, don't you, was born as a result of answered prayer, raised in a godly home. He was stronger than anyone because the spirit of God was upon him and the anointing of God was upon him. And even though he was anointed by God himself, he didn't put up the necessary safeguards to keep him pure. Well, Judges chapter 14, we learn Samson didn't guard his eyes, remember? And he saw a woman of Timnah. And her name was Delilah. You know that Delilah means Delilah means to weaken and impoverish. To weaken and impoverish. Samson, by a clue. If you meet a woman, y'all stay with me. If you meet a woman and her name means to weaken and impoverish, what do you think she's going to do? Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. You need to write that down. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. You know the story. Delilah entices him to find out how to conquer him, and she asked him. I, I went back over the story just reading it. It's just, it's just good. Even as a Bible teacher, just go back over the story. So today I went back over the entire story, and It's shocking. Delilah asked him three times, she said, Sammy, what do I have to do to get your strength so I can afflict you? Her name means weakened and impoverished. Oh. Judges chapter 16, verse 6, don't turn there, just that's your reference, Judges 16, verse 6. She says, what do I have to do to get your strength so I can afflict you? He told her, if you weave seven locks of my hair in a loom, then I will be weak. So she takes a rope and she ties his hand, she ties his hair to a loom. And then Delilah yells out, the Philistines are upon us. And Samson wakes up and just walks away, pulling the whole loom, breaking the tie. I need a DVD. Breaking the ties. The ties and Samson, you know, was a Nazarite, and part of the Nazarite vow was that he was not to cut his hair. So Samson fell asleep, and while sleeping, Delilah cuts his hair. For Samson, getting a haircut was going too far. The Philistines captured Samson and deported him to Gaza in shackles. Now, listen disobedience to God, here it is disobedience to God has repercussions. Are you listening to me? Disobedience to God has repercussions. In Samson's case, listen, if you got a pen, I want you to write this down. Please write this down. This is important. In Samson's case, deportation, incarceration, mutilation, and humiliation. Deportation, incarceration, mutilation, and humiliation. Deportation. They took Samson to Gaza. Incarceration, they bound him with shackles. Mutilation, they gouged out his eyes. And humiliation, they sent, his, sent him to grinding, and grinding was a job for animals and for slaves. Somebody once said it like this, sin will bind you, sin will blind you, and sin will grind you. Sin will bind you, Sin will blind you and sin will grind you. I said last week, sin will take you further than you want to go. You'll stay longer than you want to stay and you'll pay more than you want to pay. So guard your moment, guard your heart. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you and let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. That means look at what you're doing and where you're going and what are you doing with your life. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established and don't turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Proverbs, pardon me, Psalms 143 or 141 3. Psalm 141 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Isn't that a great prayer? Amen. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Samson couldn't conquer the flesh. could conquer the the Philistines, but he couldn't conquer his flesh. Samson could conquer the Philistines, but he couldn't conquer his flesh. David conquered armies and territories, but he couldn't conquer his flesh. His flesh. David takes Bathsheba and the only words recorded for, uh, for Bathsheba in, in the Bible is she tells David, I'm pregnant. Second Samuel chapter 11. Look at verse six. David tries to think quick and he begins to hatch a plan. He told Joab to go get Uriah so Uriah could go sleep with his wife and then he won't be clear. Nobody will be clear who the baby daddy is. In verse nine, Uriah is a man of integrity and character. He didn't sleep with his wife. Verse 10, when they told David Uriah didn't go in to sleep with his wife, David said, I know what I'll do. I'll get Uriah drunk. Look at verse 13. Uriah spoiled the plan yet once again. That night he did not go sleep with his wife. He hung out with the servants. That's where we left off last time, saints. I've titled this sermon, An Unguarded Moment, An Unguarded Moment, Part 2. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Chapter 11, and we're going to pick up, and we'll finish uh, chapter 11 tonight. We'll pick it up in verse 14. Second Samuel chapter 11, looking at verse 14. If you're looking at it, say amen. amen. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. And so it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there would be valiant men. And then the men of the city came out and they fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. And then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. And charge the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matter of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall who struck, verse 21, Abimelech, the son of Jebusheth? Is that right? Jerubasheth? Jerubasheth? Amen. Amen. That guy. Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Saints, let's stop right there. Give me your attention. David is unsuccessful in getting Uriah to sleep with his wife. Uriah, listen, is not a Jew. Although his name means God is my light, Uriah, that's a good boy name, Uriah, God is my light. That's what it means. Uriah is probably a proselyte to Judaism and probably most likely was discipled by David, which makes this story even more interesting that David would have him killed. And it's clear from verse 11 that Uriah believed in God and in the things of God. Look at verse 11 in, in this chapter. Uriah said, David, the ark and Israel are intense, intense. The battlefield is in jeopardy. Joab and the men are in the field. Am I supposed to go and enjoy myself with my wife? So Uriah believed in God and the things of God. Am I supposed to go and enjoy myself with my wife? It's very interesting that David did. So, David is trying to get Uriah to compromise his standards and first go in and get a good night's rest from the battlefield with your wife. And that didn't work. Were you with me last week? Verse 13. The Bible says, David, look at verse 13. This kind of struck me today. David made him drunk. David made him drunk. The images, the king said, here's some liquor here. Try some vodka. You'll love it. 450 BC. Here's some vodka and try this liquor and try this beer. He made him drunk. Uriah staggers outside the palace headed home, but he didn't make it. David in verse 14 is out of plans. So in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and delivered the letter by the hand of Uriah. Now that's cold. That is cold. You need to write that in your margins. That's cold. Verse 15, David said in the letter, Joab put Uriah in the forefront of the battle. That's the hottest battle. And pull back from him that he might be hit and die. Are y'all getting this? Uriah is carrying his own death warrant to give to Joab. And that tells us Uriah trusted David. And David wasn't worried that he would open the letter. Think about that. Keep in mind, Joab hasn't read chapter 11. Joab doesn't know. Amen. Joab doesn't know that David slept with Uriah's wife. Joab doesn't know that David is trying to have him killed. Joab doesn't know that Bathsheba is pregnant. So Joab thinks Uriah must have done something wrong and he trusted David. Now, what do we learn from this? We learn. Listen, when you're involved in sin, you get others involved in your sin. And sometimes people get involved in sin and they don't know it. Joab doesn't know anything about all this, but he trusted David. So now Joab is becoming part of David's sin because he's going to be guilty of murder. Look at verse 16. While Joab was taking the city that he he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew, watch this, there were valiant men. Now, I could be reading into this, but here's my thought. I get a hunch that Joab knew something was up. Because think about this. Think about it. Now I'm military. 13 years Navy, nine of them stationed with the Marine Corps. All right. Amen. Two people. Amen. That's all. That's all right. We can take them all. We take all y'all. We take all y'all. Here's why. I get. The, I get the hunch that that David knew that that uh, that Joab knew something, because as a general, you don't put a sacrificial lamb out there to be killed. You don't intentionally put your men in a place where they can be killed. No, Joab put Uriah near some guys who were warriors. Did you see that? Near some valiant men. Near some guys who were some warriors who could fight. Look at verse 17. The men of the city fought and Joab was out there with them and some of the servants of David fell and Uriah died also, so now David is costing the lives of other men as well, not just Uriah. Listen, this is the nature of sin, it always leaves collateral damage. In other words, innocent people are hurt and destroyed in the process of your sin. Sin destroys. Did you hear me? Sin destroys. Sin destroys nations, sin destroys peoples, sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys youth. Sin destroys Proverbs 1434. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin destroys relationships. Sin destroys cultures. Can't you see? Sin is destroying our nation. Sin is destroying our country. Sin is destroying our cities. In verse 18, Joab, Joab sent messengers to tell David everything that had happened. Joab told the messengers, when you're finished telling David what happened, if the king gets angry, verse 18 through 21, just come with me. If the king gets angry and he says, why did you get so near to the city? Do you do you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Verse 21, David, listen, is remembering. If you want to write something in your margin, write this. Judges 9, 50 through 57. Judges 9, write that right outside of verse 21. Judges 9, 50 through 57. Judges chapter 9, verses 50 through 57 is the story of a man by the name of Abimelech. And Abimelech is on a rampage to destroy anyone that gets in the way. And so he comes to a tower to burn it down. Once you read it in your own time, not now, just listen. So he comes to a tower to burn it down. The people are hiding in there. And there's this one no-name woman who sees a down there, and she takes a millstone like a cooking utensil, a 10 by 14, approximately 5 pounds, and she threw it down on his head, bullseye, hit him in the head, Martha Stewart style.